course. This of course. is, I have been looking forward to this all week. All yes. week. I am, this is, this is an exciting guest that we've got coming in. And I'm just, I'm just looking forward to, to everything that, that, that he's going to share with us about his story tonight. Um, you, you've, you got your weekend review. Everybody set with that. Yes, indeed. And uh, I'm starting, right? That's the order? Yes, yes, indeed. Victoria, yeah. you're going first with part of Miguel's bio and yes. I'm at the end, okay? I've got that. Good, 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 good. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I, I think forgot I, my cup. forgot my cup today. We need a water bottle. That's what we need. No. And All right, everybody, here comes the open. All right. Great, Thank Alan. You, Alan. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Well, good evening, everybody. You have tuned into Authors Up right here on ALH Broadcasting, an affiliate of the Streaming Inspirational Broadcast Network. And I am here tonight with my co-host, Ruth Griffin Hello. and Victoria <laughs> Henderson-Poole. I don't know, between the queen wave and the whole captain thing, I, I don't know what we up for tonight. But I tell well, you, that means you're going to have to come up with something. With something right? I will. I, I'll work on that. That's yeah, my work on project that. for next week. She's got the <laughs> beauty queen thing. Blowing kisses. Is that going to be mine? Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, good evening. Uh, Angie, good to have you on the line with us tonight. Uh, we are really, really really excited. You know, we're always excited on Sunday nights to bring you uh, new books and to share time with some authors that some you know, some you don't know. So I'm just really, really excited about the author that we have tonight and the book that, that uh, he has written and oh, yeah. just to have him share his story. It's This is just going to be an incredible evening. So I'm just so glad that you are with us. Hey there, Linda Cooks. Glad to have you in the house tonight. Good to have you as always. Ways. And we're going to get started the way that we usually do, and that's in giving you our week in review. And uh, I'm going to start off tonight. And uh, when I finish, Ruth is going to go, and then Victoria is going to tell you about her week. Um, <laughs> did a lot of writing this week. Oh, good. Uh, had Ruth assist me with some glitches that I had on recordings that I was trying to get to another station. So Thank, thank you, Ruth. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Me out, uh, yes. Me out. Yes. I'm not just. I'm not just a host. I'm also the IT person. I think. That's, That's it. it. That's yeah. it. 
Yes, she did. <laughs> hey there, Francina. Good to have you on tonight as well. Um, the biggest thing that I did this past week is that I gave blood. Wow, okay. And I have not Good given blood you. for a long, 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 long time. Uh, and and I was really um I was really excited to do it. I was really excited to do it. Um it took a little longer than I anticipated, but okay. that's okay. Uh, I, my fear was that I was going to wait and then be told for some reason that I could mm. not give. Oh, so okay. I was real happy that I was able to give and and then found out that every donor uh we were thinking every donor would save a life, but they mm. actually told us that every donor saves three lives. Oh, wow. Lives. Yeah. So anybody out there who's wondering about it, thinking about it, yeah. hasn't had a chance to do it, I encourage mm. you. Good I for you. I encourage you uh, to, to contact the Red Cross and, and uh, give blood if you can. Life-saving, life-saving. How did you uh, feel? How'd you feel afterwards? I felt good. I mean, oh, I, felt okay. I, I was a little tired, but I can't blame that on the blood drive. Blood drive. I'm sleepy, so. <laughs> I actually know you can because you're losing a pint of blood. So you're okay. losing energy. So yeah. you know what? All the tiredness you're feeling is just a side effect of you saving lives. Well, good for so. you, though. Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was glad to do it. Glad to do it. Mm -hmm. Ruth, what about you? So I had to think about it because my brain just stopped working. You know, it's like when you take a test and they ask you stuff that you know, and then you're like, uh, so, um, I don't remember what my week was, but I did an interview this morning. It's going to air in November. I actually have two more interviews this coming week. So I'm kind of excited to be sharing, you know, my book and, you know, the message and everything. So I'll, I'll keep you guys abreast on when those interviews are going to um, air. And Good. I'm looking forward to doing more. I'm just, I, I'm happy to be sharing it. So, yes. And I'm That's happy to great. be letting you guys know. So, That's right. right. That was my day. When I remember my week, I'll let you guys know. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, all righty then. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, I gave blood, so I remember Saturday. But okay, for so that, that was, she was so thank you, thank you. Yeah, so, I'm so grateful you guys did that because I I can't because I have the sickle cell trait. Oh, wow. I'm not able to give blood, but you know, and when I um had my youngest child, I needed blood. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I found I was very anemic and I lost a lot of blood during the, the C-section, oh. and I needed three bags of blood. So. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it was touch and go. So I just my hats off to you because it does save lives, and I always mm -hmm. wanted to do it, but I can't. So um, I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Yeah, Angie was saying that she's she's not able to give either. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. But right. but I was glad I had I had made up my mind that whatever the outcome, I was going to make the effort. Yeah, well, yeah, good. Uh, so, good deal. so I know. So I know what was up. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> So Victoria, are you gonna tell us a little bit about our guest? Just a little bit because I want I want to get to our guest. But um I um I had a, actually a podcast interview that aired this past week awesome. with uh, on the on with Leah Fournay and her podcast called Hey Queen Thrive. And we talked about my author journey and it it um has been two years since my book has been out. So that was really great. And then we talked about um and things I have coming up. And also we talked about Authors Up. So I gave a plug in for Authors Up 
and it was really good. So um, <laughs> if you can listen to it, go back and it's out there in any pet on any any podcast platforms on Hey Queen Thrive. I thought it, I thought it was a really good interview. Great. Awesome. That was it. And I wanted to say one thing about our um, show from last week. How did I forget that I love Ayanla Van Zandt's books? How did I forget that? I, I have know. almost every book she ever written. But I said, I didn't I, talk about Ayanla at all last week. But I love all her books. I have see, look, and going by Andrea's standard of, you know, the most books on your bookshelf by a certain author, you're not really a fan if you forgot. I know, right? <laughs> No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but yeah, that she qualifies. I forgot for the last week's show and I had to plug her because that's my girl. <laughs> I had every book. And in the meantime, I was saying in the meantime, everything. But anyway, mm -hmm. we have a wonderful guest with us tonight. And so yes. I'm, we're going to stop talking. So we're going to get to his bio. All right. Miguel Sancho is an Emmy winning journalist television producer and is an executive producer of non-scripted television documentaries and series currently show running and developing projects with six west productions his most recent project the proof is out there premiered on the history channel channel in january 2021 prior to his work at a e networks miguel accumulated more than two decades of experience producing national television broadcasts, most recently as senior producer for the ABC News program 2020. He has conceived and managed the production of hundreds of primetime broadcasts, ranging from long-term documentary projects to live breaking news specials. With a background in investigative reporting, he oversaw many of the most legally sensitive projects the network aired during his tenure there. He and his teams have won many of the top of the industry's top journalism awards, including a 2017 Emmy for an hour-long documentary special on the Las Vegas massacre. During his years in the field, he's covered stories all across the U.S. and abroad, including Latin America, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. With all of these accomplishments under his belt, Miguel also enjoys playing chess and various musical instruments, including piano, bass, and drums. He currently lives in the New York area with his wife, Felicia Morton, and their two children, Lydia and Sebastian. His first book is titled, More Than You Can Handle, a rare disease, a family crisis, a family in crisis, and the cutting-edge medicine that cured the incurable. The book chronicles the lives, deaths, and rebirths of patients and staff at Duke University Hospital Pediatric Bone Marrow Transplant Unit, and that's the book he's going to be talking about tonight, his first book. So I tell you what, we are going to take a short break right here, and when we return, you are going to meet and greet our guest for the evening, Miguel Sancho.
Ah, there you are. Howdy. I'm, this is my greeting. <laughs> raise the roof. That's it. Welcome. All right. I'm so thrilled to have you uh, to be on. Thank you. What a wonderful introduction. <laughs> great, great, great. Glad to have you, Miguel. Yes, we are so happy that you're joining us. Um, we want to just jump in and talk about your book. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So um, hello and hi to everybody in the audience. Um, a little bit about the book. Sure. So I, um, as you mentioned in, in your very uh, generous intro, I'm trained as a journalist, a television journalist. I worked in TV news uh, for decades. And then what happened was uh, after my son was born in 2012, his name is Sebastian, and he's a wonderful little baby boy. He started getting this series of very unexplained infections that required hospitalizations um, and some minor surgeries, which were very scary for us. And after about five months, uh, my wife, Felicia, insisted we go to immun an immunologist who ran a very special, very rare test for a rare disease. And it turned out he had this rare disease. Wow. And ever since then, um, until he was cured uh, about six years later, we lived in this whole other world of the rare disease community, the parents with sick kids, people going through um, both living with the disease, trying to manage it and trying to cure it. And in the course of that ordeal on that process, I thought to myself, you know, this is a very intense experience. And mm -hmm. it feels like the journalist part of me feels like it's a really compelling story that I just happen to be in. Mm -hmm. So is there a possibility at some point that this could become uh, a book and you know uh medical ordeals are never pleasant i don't recommend them for anybody but one nice thing about writing them is that there's all these records right <laughs> they keep meticulous records of what happened when and what the results were and so in addition to kind of some of the own writing i'd done of my at the time some of the writing that felicia done at the time there was this treasure trove of medical research um i could rely on to uh, medical records, I should say, to build out the book. So at some point I started uh, writing what was a proposal. I will be honest with you. There were times when I was completely ambivalent about the whole uh, project because, you know, the book is an attempt to, you know, kind of focus all my journalistic powers of criticism and denunciation, not on some politician or some corrupt company, but frankly, on myself um, and some of the imperfections and shortcomings that uh, that characterize some of my behavior during the six years. Um, but ultimately, I said, this is a story I kind of have to write. I will feel like incomplete or I'll feel like a quitter if I don't push it through. I'm sure you guys have had that feeling, too. And mm -hmm, I just went ahead and did it. I didn't know how well it was going to be received or um, how the people were going to react to what I was portraying in the book. But at a certain point, you know, you ultimately, there's always a thousand reasons not to do something, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's ultimately just one reason to do something that's because you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's how I kind of felt about this writing project, that I had to do it. And fortunately, I was able to uh, to get it done, and it came out earlier this year, and it's been it's been very well received. It's been a wonderful journey, and it's um, it's something that kind of made this year different from other years, right? Having a book come out, mm -hmm. um, 
And so I, I, I guess one of my messages to anybody who's listening is if you think there's a book in you, please, by all means, write it. You'll, you'll find it extraordinarily worthwhile. Absolutely. Miguel, how long did it actually take you to write the book? I wrote the book. Um, I started writing the book in like January of 2019. Uh, I had, I have to say, I had a wonderful publisher and editor, um, Caroline Sutton, who is at Avery Books, which is a, uh, an imprint of penguin that does a lot of medical stuff mm -hmm. and she uh gave me wonderful um uh, kind of how to's along the way and also wonderful feedback about um things that weren't working and mm -hmm. so i started in like january of 2019 i submitted the first uh draft in i want to say around thanksgiving of 2019 um my editor caroline wrote back with uh, you know, like three or four pages of notes and, and edits, um, some of which were easy to execute, some of which were, you know, uh, more significant, more severe. And so I kind of spent um, the next few months trying to make that work. And I submitted the next draft um, February of 2020, just months before, uh, you know, COVID hit. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was that that was it. And um, yeah, it was really just a matter of in terms of, you know, the process, um, a matter of, you know, having a certain degree of discipline of saying, okay, you know, I'm sitting down, I'm writing and I'm not going to get up until I get, you know, whatever, a thousand words done today. Um, and How'd that work? I want to say it worked great because I was given some very good advice and it's very simple advice to follow. I was given very good advice by a friend of mine who's also written a book and he said, what, it's a two-step process. The first step is write a crappy book. Shitty your way from the beginning to the middle to the end, and don't care about the fact that you're on the same dance floor as Toni Morrison, and you're okay. on the same dance floor as you know William Shakespeare. You know, don't don't let that kind of blinking cursor on the blank screen freak you out. Just push through write the, the end. That's step one. And then you say, okay, I've written a crappy book. And then go back and turn the crappy book into a good book. Um, you know, we're laughing. Tell them why, Ruth. That, I, that is my favorite. That, that is something I quote often. Is uh, um, I can't think of his name right now, but he said, the first draft of any book is garbage. <laughs> you get the book out, out of the editing process. So we're always encouraging our uh, listeners. You know what? Just write. Whatever comes out, you can't edit a blank page. So. All right. Yeah, I think I want to say I was Walter Mosley or some other great uh, um, writer said, you know, if you crank out whatever X number of words on Monday, regardless of how good or bad they are, they will make the words you write on Tuesday better um, because they will inform uh, the it. process and yes. you know, your yes. your ideas. It's like, you know how, um, like if you leave a crossword puzzle because you can't you know, figure mm -hmm. out some clues and then come back to it 24 hours later. Yeah. Those clues will just kind of come to yep. you. It's, it's, uh, at least for me, you know, listen to me, I'm talking like I've written 10 books. I've written yeah. one book. Um, You're an that, expert that, now. Exactly. That's how it was for me. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I mean, you sure. have a background in journalism and television production. So, you know, how did that differ? I mean, you, you spoke about, you know, your journalistic background, um, affecting the way you started writing is that mm -hmm. how it finished you know did you have to change 
your process? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it, and I would say it helped in one respect and it didn't help in another respect. And the answer um, I would say is this, it helps because if you're a television journalist, you know, you don't have a lot of time, right? Your, your, your product is always really compressed and it has to be, you know, it has to move quickly. It can't slow down. People are always have that clicker in your hand. So, and frankly, I'm not proud to say this, but I'm a guy who doesn't finish um, a certain percentage of the books I write, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, books I read, excuse me. Right. Right. If I start a book and I'm not really digging it by page 75 or 80, I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, you had your chance and you blew it, right? We're not, it. we're not going out on a second date here. So I, I, I'll often <laughs> drop that book and pick up another book. So I very much think it's the responsibility of the author mm -hmm. to make the reading experience pleasurable enough that the audience wants to turn the page, right? Reading yeah, shouldn't absolutely. be like eating a bowl of broccoli, although I do like broccoli. It shouldn't be like, you know, climbing a mountain. I like climbing mountains, but it, it shouldn't be hard work necessarily, right? I mean, mm -hmm. most, most of these books are not like being assigned for, you know, credit in a class. It's something people are doing because they choose to do that with their free time. And so I was always conscious um, writing the book uh, like the TV producer has to be, like somebody, you know, you're speaking mm -hmm. to somebody with a clicker on your hand in the same way, um, you know, writing, reading, excuse me, writing and reading a book, you have to pay attention to people's, um, uh, what they can do with their time, right? The next best thing they could be doing, which is almost always like, you know, looking on their phone. Um, the other thing is, uh, it helped me kind of focus on the fact that just because a sentence begins with the word I, doesn't mean it's interesting to anybody else, right? Mm. Just because something happened to you and you thought it was interesting doesn't necessarily mean everybody else is going to uh, think it's interesting, right? So um, I was always very conscientious of, of that. The thing that it didn't help with is that in the first draft of the book that I wrote, I kind of wrote it like a TV script, like a TV documentary. Uh, I, would, okay. I, would, I would write in a given, say, event happened or whatever, a, a moment happened. I would describe it in the prose, and then I would quote people I'd interviewed afterwards, talking about and commenting on the thing. Okay. Um, and you know, that works well in a TV documentary, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about whatever the morning of 9/11, and you describe what mm -hmm. happens, and then you you know interview a fireman who tells you you know what he was doing at the time. But in the context of a book, um, it actually kind of strips away the immediacy and the intimacy of being in a scene. So one of the things my editor said is you got to go back and you've got to create actual scenes where mm. people are talking to each other and do your best to kind of remember what people said and approximate the dialogue and check with them to make sure that they're not um, being you know, misrepresented in some way. Right. But you've got to kind of stick with the active present. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So that was an adjustment for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think you, uh, I think you did a good job. So yeah, making the change. So um, I have to say, I was struck by your story, especially the humor in your retelling. Um, I want to read a small excerpt. This was, I think, my favorite part. The most common reality is that rare diseases frequently rip families apart. Diseases take toll on your family. Divorce, substance abuse, depression, and bankruptcy are just a few horsemen riding in the slipstream of an apocalyptic diagnosis. And only a fraction of parents have the outstanding character and good fortune to avoid them all. Mm. I was not among them. To the contrary, in the face of the biggest crisis of my life, 
I managed to derail my career, put my marriage on life support, get my family evicted and banned for life from the local Ronald McDonald house, and ruin a perfectly planned make-a-wish trip to list a few of my greatest hits. Um, I think that says a lot about your book. And I'm going to let Victoria take it in a second. <laughs> but I want to ask, you know, you know, obviously it's going through something like that really changes you. So can you say that you are a totally different person? Are you a better person? How did that experience change you? Well, for one thing, it was extraordinarily um, humbling. Um, You know, I had, I was more than blessed for the first 40 years of my life. I was, I was darn lucky. Um, I hadn't had any major hardship. Um, you know, my, my grandparents had died, but they died relatively old. I mean, in a natural yeah. way, um, I'd been blessed with, um, you know, wonderful, caring parents who invested a lot in my education. I'd been given, you know, first, second and third chances by, um, um, you know, my teachers and my employers and everybody who knew me. So when this hit, you know, I, this diagnosis hit, I was not prepared. I didn't have, you know, some, some major um, kind of life experience that had strengthened me and and built me up to go through this. Uh, I kind of assumed that because the first 40 years of my life had been relatively smooth sailing, the next 40 years would too, as as that was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously as you, in the, in the, the passage you just read indicates, um, this experience was indeed more than I could handle in a lot of ways. Right. And in certain regards, I made a bad situation worse because I didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think in addition to the value, the precious value of being humbled, um, and being kind of educated about what life is really like, uh, I was able to acquire at least the basics, the beginnings of the tools, um, to be able to deal with some of life's, bigger tests, um, and also to be able to empathize with other people who are mm-hmm. uh, right. going through uh, other things, which basically is almost everybody deals with something right. like this at some point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's the, that's the crux of it. And it did involve, it didn't just happen, right? I mean, the, the one of the, you know, kind of uh, ongoing narratives in the book is how, you know, in, in a, Unlike other families who kind of magically or blessedly kind of tap into an infinite reservoir of kindness or patience or um, um, understanding or wisdom or fortitude, um, you know, for me, it was it was rather crippling. And there was a number of things, you know, my, my life was teetering on the edge of real crisis and real disaster. Um, and I had to kind of actively search out for and actively seek methods, tools, modalities of, of self-improvement, if you will, um, to be adequate, you know, not to be a hero, but just to right. be, you know, a good enough father, right. husband, um, a man to, to get through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I know that um, Victoria has some some things that that she wants to uh, 
talk I'm to you. I'm fine. I'm fine. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you got a burning question. We, we want to hear that. That's right. We, all of us, well, we, we were all just very excited um, to have the opportunity to have you tell your story uh, mm -hmm. in your own words, um, particularly wanting you to share. You talked about practical lessons that you learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that as you talk about your story, you know, the diagnosis, how you really dealt with all of this. But there was one thing that all of us wanted <laughs> to know. <laughs> Come on. And that is... How do you get banned from the Ronald McDonald house? <laughs> They're such nice people. What happened? what happened at the Ronald McDonald house with everything else that you have going on and all the things you have to just do? Tell us what happened. <laughs> all right, well, let me tell you how I got there first. I think it's, it's one of those stories that you say when it's happening that you'll be able to laugh about it years later. And right. it's years later and everybody else is laughing about it. I'm not sure I'm able to laugh about it myself yet, but I encourage everybody else to. Um, yeah. So what happened was we got this diagnosis. Okay. And mm -hmm. my son had this very rare, very lethal immune deficiency. Mm -hmm. And the choice is you could either live with it and try to manage it with daily medications and environmental restrictions, knowing that, he may well come down with an infection that could end his life. Mm -hmm. Or you can essentially roll the dice with the one known curative treatment that's out there, which is a bone marrow transplant or what's officially known as a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. But basically what it is, is an immune system transplant. Mm -hmm. You go into a hospital. In this case, for us, it was Duke University Hospital in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They, after you know, determining that you're healthy enough to go through this procedure, proceed to annihilate your existing uh, immune system with chemotherapy. They infuse you with cells from a donor that is that has been deemed a match. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that engrafts. And then they basically grow a new immune system from scratch. It's rather remarkable. Wow. It's miraculous right. they can do this. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the book is about all the breakthrough medical science that makes that possible. So we moved down to North Carolina for this to happen. And while, you know, and they tell you it's going to be about a year from beginning and the end of this procedure. It's going to give it, give yourself a year. So we had to deal with housing and uh, mm -hmm. and schools for uh, our, our daughter and such. And one of the things that a lot of people do is stay at the Ronald McDonald House. Now, let me say, as I do <laughs> in the book, and it's not hard for me to say, Ronald McDonald House is a great philanthropy that does yes. wonderful work for uh, families in the situation that we're in. This is what happened. Now that's, that's now this is what actually happened. We showed up at the Ronald McDonald House, and they said, "Of course, we'll take you. Come on in." And you know, we showed up late. My son arrived at Duke. He was already sick. He'd come down with an infection of the week. We were supposed to get down mm -hmm. there. We were worried that he wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of absentmindedly signed the uh, the rules and the, the agreement that they uh, ask you to sign when you come in. And one of the things that they make you agree to is no uh alcohol or drugs and you know whatever I, I didn't plan to party um when i was down there or get high or you know it wasn't that kind of you know wasn't yeah. that kind of party um so whatever that's not a big deal then then in the course of that week i had gone and seen my one friend who i knew in uh the raleigh durham area and he'd given me 
just as a gesture, a bottle of bourbon, because he knows I drink bourbon, you know, uh, when I drink. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, thanks. I mean, I wasn't going to have it that week. In fact, I had a fever that week. I got the flu. It was bad. Oh. So, but I brought the, be, to be a nice, to accept the gift, I took it and I brought it back to the um, Ronald McDonald. Oh, mercy. And <sighs> what happened was housekeeping went in there while I wasn't in there and they saw the uh, bottle and then they reported it right away. And what oh they might go to the house, I can tell you, zero tolerance does indeed mean zero tolerance. <laughs> oh and my goodness! We uh, we got evicted, um, but uh, and I can I can it happened five years ago now, but I can still hear my wife on the phone um, telling me that news. I was uh, I was out of the building when it happened. So that was yes, that was um, not one of my prouder moments. Uh, the good news is that there. We were able to find housing. There are other um, housing options for parents going through, families going through there. Mm -hmm. And so even though it was extraordinarily embarrassing and humiliating and, um, you know, uh, an abject failure on my part, uh, it worked out okay. We were able to get uh, an apartment. And again, there's a wonderful other uh, charity that actually provides apartments for wow. um for families in that situation so i could see if the bottle was open but oh my goodness yeah, yeah they could have uh i mean it wasn't gift wrapped or anything but i i so there, there's a lesson for folks don't yeah. don't bring any don't go know, to the ronald mcdonald uh, house don't, don't even bring rubbing alcohol. alcohol into your yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> like they're yeah. rubbing alcohol definitely gives a, a new meaning to zero tolerance, tolerance right? yeah. yeah yeah but i do want to say they that's a wonderful mm -hmm. charity oh, yeah. I, i've given money to them i donated a little bit of the uh of the proceeds from the book uh to them and i, I wish them all the best in fact i got a very nice uh well, that's nice of you. <laughs> I got a nice message from the guy who runs the uh, that particular Ronald McDonald house, and uh, we are now uh, friends on oh. either Facebook or LinkedIn. And you know, <laughs> look at you. Uh, <laughs> uh, my comment was that the, the the book actually touched. It really touched me. I I found myself um, having to get up a couple times because um, um, when my oldest daughter was three months old she was diagnosed with asthma now that's nowhere near you know um the rare disease that your son had but it was it really scary I mean, yeah. yeah it does and i had no experience at all um as that you know and i i was riding to the doctor with her uh she's three months old and at that time they didn't force the children to be in the back seat so she was in the front seat with me and i watched that child cough until, like her tongue was coming out of her mouth you know and she's three months old and it's really scary and um and then my third child um, was diagnosed with epilepsy. And so some of the things that you wrote really, really touched my heart. And I said, wow, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but some of the things that you say really capture how I felt, you know, the complete helplessness as you watch your child um, go through these procedures and, and being stuck. And, and uh, it was just, I, I, I'm going to tell you, listeners and listeners and viewers, you got to get the book. You got to get the book because he tells his story and it's and you had me laughing at the same time crying because you tell the story in such a, a remarkable way and i you know i don't i don't even think i have um a lot of deep questions but i again we wanted to hear you talk about how was it when you got that that first diagnosis after yes. going through what you what you had gone through before you got the diagnosis yeah well first of all i hope your kids are okay 
and uh, doing okay. and Thank you're you. absolutely right, Victoria. I mean, you can read every parenting book in the world. Mm -hmm. None of them will tell you how to watch your child suffer. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, you're especially if it's you know a, a very young newborn, you, you can't get a more innocent um, you know person, right? A more right. you know beautiful and innocent thing who just and the, the unfairness of it, right? Right. right. Just, just, deeply deeply infuriating and anger right. was one of the main things my own anger is one of the main things i had to deal with mm -hmm. um but yeah so i'll the moment of diagnosis i would say this on the one hand it was a relief yes because we had spent as i mentioned months dealing with basically this medical mystery and you know it's one thing like i said to see your kids suffer another level is being in a room with a dozen specialists of various sorts saying who say oh, we don't know what's going on hmm. and that's when you find yourself in a whole other level of what we kind of called hospital world right you're not right. just in this kind of powerless confusing situation you're you know panicking right you, every every medical issue i'd ever dealt with even if it was something painful like a broken bone there was an answer right this is what happened. This is what you have to do to get better. That's how it's going to get fixed. When you're in this kind of, uh, like I said, mystery world, it is terrifying. So when we got right. the diagnosis on the one hand, I was like, okay, now we know what makes sense. Right. The flip side of it is <laughs> the yeah. way forward was as scary and as risky and as potentially life-threatening as the disease itself. Mm -hmm. uh, the bone marrow transplant is one of the most arduous and um potentially risky procedures you can have um even in the world of 21st century medicine so i liken it to in the book i talk about a story i did um when i was in the uh, working for abc news mm -hmm. about cruise ships and the story about this guy who fell off the lido deck of a Mm -hmm. cruise ship and found himself after being knocked unconscious like floating in the uh gulf of mexico as mm. he watches the ship sail over the horizon Whew. and that's basically the closest uh analogy i can come come to you know mm -hmm. suddenly your world has just been completely yes. disrupted you're in a new environment where you have no bearings or no idea how to move forward and the one thing you know is that the life you thought you were going to have the experience that you thought you were going to have is leaving you behind yeah right? um and right. it's not going to be there's no kind of getting back on track anytime soon wow amazing amazing and i know we oh i'll tell you it's something like i said i you know i'm, I'm not much good because <laughs> right? i know part of what that feels like um what would you tell our listeners and our viewers about your journey that what would you just like to share with everyone else about because i know during the book you met other parents like yourself yeah. you um and, and you became friends and what would you tell parents today um who are struggling you know with with illnesses in their children well the first thing is you know to do whatever it takes to get whatever support you need to be again at least adequate mm -hmm. right i mean like like that 
little passage that Ruth read, you know, we have this myth that parents somehow just automatically rise to the occasion. Right. Mm -hmm. They somehow become saints overnight when they're dealt with this. And the fact of the matter is some do. Believe me, I saw them. You know, there are plenty of parents who handle this kind of thing better than I did. So they're out there. But not everybody. And um, I saw plenty of that up close. Uh, you know, the plenty of um, other parents that we met ended up getting divorced because of this. Wow. People, you know, end up getting, you know, there were, there were people we met um, who were dealing with like substance abuse issues that had been exacerbated because of this. Mm -hmm. um, it obviously kicks a hole in people's careers and finances and the whole thing. So the point is, whatever it takes, you know, do what you need to do. If that means going to church, which I approve of, or mm -hmm. going to a therapist, or going to couples counseling, yes, or going yes. to the gym, or taking uh, medications, or meditating, and I've done all of the above, by the way, <laughs> um, do it. And, and, and the other thing is, I think sometimes people feel like they have to stick with one kind of modality of, of uh, self-help. Right. And if they mix and match, somehow it's like cheating on their girlfriend. Um, mm. But for me, it was like, OK, I'm going to try whatever kind of combination of things that I need um, that's working for me not right now. Mm -hmm. And if I need to change up because I think, you know, something could do better or because I'm just bored and, you know, I, I want to change up to try something new, you know, do that as well. But don't do nothing. Um, you know, I spent the first couple of years of this, frankly, adopting a kind of Hollywood understanding of what masculinity was and what what being strong was. Yes. Um, and I tried to kind of drown my sorrows in either stoicism or workaholism. Uh, mm -hmm. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't work for the long term. Right. That it might work for a situation that's going to last two weeks. But if it's a situation that could potentially last, you know, a lifetime, uh, I don't recommend those particular approaches. So uh, that's it. But well, also, you. you know, there's, there's plenty of there's plenty of room and opportunities for hope and for gratitude. Yeah. And frankly, you can. I would say one of the things I try to convey in the book is that suffering can be put to a higher purpose. Suffering can have meaning. Mm -hmm. Suffering can, um, you know, really enrich one's life experiences, as crazy as that sounds, um, because it does provide um, gifts such as proper perspective and appreciation of exactly. and, and exactly. the little thing. Not mm. crazy at all. Please tell us. I know we're, we're about to wrap up, but please tell us how is Sebastian today? Yeah, uh, I am happy to report that he just turned nine. Oh. He, his his awesome. transplant was a thundering success. Yes, awesome. It took a long, long time, but he's um, out now, you know, uh, playing on the beach. Um, and awesome. you know all, all the memories of having to take medicines every day, of getting poked, mm. of having operations, of needing to stay away from other kids wow. uh, if they had if they were at all sick. Mm -hmm. All that's in the past and kind of actually fading from his memory to a certain degree. Awesome. So we are so grateful, and I have to say, you know, the book details kind of our ordeal, mm -hmm. but we had it very very easy we were very fortunate compared to a lot of the other families yeah. wow. um who've dealt with similar things in fact the book is 
the book is dedicated to everybody who's had it tougher because mm -hmm. we know that whatever we went through, um, given, given our outcome, we really, um, are, are, are very fortunate and blessed. And that has a lot to do. I can't say this enough with the amazing medical science and medical mm -hmm. research taking place that is a true source of optimism. And I, I can't recommend people enough. If you're, um, you know, reading science books, which I started doing is in and of itself, just a very, <laughs> it's a very inspiring thing to do, even if it's not mm -hmm. a, a science book about some problem that you're having right now, you know, right. it's, it's wonderful to see, you know, kind of the species advancing and, yes. and working together to solve problems. I mean, there's, I know there's lots to say about how, uh, you know, the COVID crisis has been handled, but the fact of the matter is folks, we as a species came up with a very, very effective vaccine within nine months yep. using something called it. messenger RNA. I mean, it. that is astounding. It um, is. And it's not something we should just take for granted. No, you are correct. Please tell our listeners and viewers where they can get this book, because I'm telling you guys, you're going to enjoy it. You really are. Well, thank you for saying that. And again, I just want to tell everybody that, that I did actually write the book with the audience in mind, not just, you know, it wasn't just something that, you know, an exercise and it wasn't like doing sit-ups. It was like <laughs> not at all. Not it's, at all. It was for the people, you it, know, it's it supposed to provide a, a good reading experience in a world where there's lots of books out there. I know that. Mm -hmm. um, where can we find yours? <laughs> you can find, well, Amazon, of course, amazon.com. Uh, but it's not written in stone that Amazon needs to make every dollar out there. I know, right? So you can look, find Barnes and Noble, uh, local bookstores. Many have, are carrying it uh, as it is, but you can have them order it. Uh, essentially, everywhere that uh, fine books are sold. All right. And how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, well, social media. Yeah, social media. I, you know what? I'm going to tell you. I, I'm not supposed to say this, but I find that basically Twitter has become pretty much just a, a platform for. <laughs> <laughs> telling, you know, expressing hatred and disregard and uh, contempt for other people and their opinions. Cesspool. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good word. Cesspool. I need to use it more often. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I haven't been tweeting as much as I mm -hmm. did at one point, but I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You okay. can tweet me at masancho3. Uh, but if you just Google Miguel Sancho, you'll stumble across. There aren't as many Miguel Sanchos as you might. Uh, <laughs> I believe there's a Spanish supermodel named Miguel Sancho. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. Um, he has, a, it, and if you want to confuse me with him, you can go right ahead. Go right ahead, right. I do have a web page, which, okay. uh, which is just miguelsancho.net. Okay. Um, not com, because I think the model took that one, but miguelsancho.net. <laughs> and um, you can learn more than you'd ever want to know about me and my family and my career and uh awesome. um, feel free to stalk me i could use uh <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lonely um, I know and at least three of us on this podcast are going <laughs> to stalk you yeah. Yeah. time wasters and stalkers welcome anytime all right <laughs> miguel thank you so so much we cannot thank you enough for taking your time to be with us tonight and to share something that that sheds some light on some things that that are really really important for us to remember and important for us to know uh, we don't know from day to day what's going to happen or who it's going to happen to or how we are going to handle it and it's just it's good to know that that there is a way to get through 
And there's no better way of, of finding that out than from someone who's been through that journey. Mm -hmm. So thank you again. Thank you so much. We do appreciate you being with us tonight. And uh, I, I don't know, ladies, you have any? Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> Ruth, do you have any closing comments for tonight? <laughs> no, Miguel, I just wanted to thank you uh, again for coming on our show. And we wanted to uh, let our audience know if you are a, if you know someone who's an author or you want to contact us with any content, comments or anything, you can email us at authorsup at gmail.com. Okay. All right. You guys are great. And thank you to everybody watching. And um, like I said, my biggest message is the Authors Up show. If you've got a book in you, mm -hmm. crank it out. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Get the book. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope you have enjoyed the program as much as we have in bringing it to you. We are here every Sunday night at 7 p.m. So, you know, put us on your calendar, put us on whatever you need to put us on so that you will remember to join us next week. We have another exciting show for you. Mm -hmm. So thank you again. Thank you. Miguel, and that is it for us for tonight. God bless everybody. Good night, Brown right. Girls. Good night, Miguel. <laughs> Good night. Thank you again. <laughs>